Welcome to a football podcast with myself, Christian Jack, and Stephen Caldwell. Today, we chat about a super Sunday with three finals, the U.S. Women's World Cup win, Brazil's ninth Copa America title, Jonathan DeSantos' Gold Cup winner over the USA. Is Piatti on his way out? Is Thomas Vermaelen on his way in to MLS? And of course, we have a very special interview with Canadian men's manager, John Herdman, that we'll get to shortly in the show as well. How's everybody doing? Shawnee, you're back from vacation. Yeah. We did a show when we were gone. Beautiful time out east. Good for you, mate. Thank you. Relaxation was the word you used when I saw you this morning. So that was the best word you can ever use off a vacation. Stephen Caldwell, you didn't have a vacation. (laughs) Your vacation has been spent calling many, many, many games uh, over the last few weeks for for TSN, which which is why you're here, thankfully. Um, But how's, how's things, pal? Good? Good, mate. Yeah, really good. Uh, good day yesterday, football, wasn't it? It was a lot going on. I was at the Blue Jays as well, so good for I had you. a busy day. My mate Callum's in town from Manchester, so nice. we, uh, me and the boys and Callum went for a good little sporting day out. It was a terrific sporting day all around the world. And let's start with the first game of the day, which took place in France, in Lyon, as the United States knocked out the Netherlands. Uh, any dreams of winning the World Cup? I think probably they were the only ones who felt they could. I hope they did. Yeah. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, but in the end, the USA beat the Netherlands two goals to nil. Uh, overall, the tournament was pretty much, um, in the end, what we many people thought. I, I mean, the Americans were actually better than I thought they were going to be. Yeah. I don't know how you felt. But Outstanding. on the day, they, uh, the word powerful came to mind for me when I when I saw the, the performance. Uh, powerful, yes. Prepared, uh, technically the best. Just had everything yeah, in the game. And, and I know there's been a lot said about different aspects of, of the American <laughs> team in this World Cup, but yeah. sick it, to be honest. But yeah. I can understand why they get under people's skin. But at the end of the day, what I love about truly great sports teams and, and sports men and women is that they they talk a big game and then they back it up the greats and this team are greats they're yeah. greats of the game they're, 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 they've spoke a big game they've, they've been brash they're quite loud and, and they say how good they are and then they back it up mm-hmm. that's what we want don't we we yeah. love sportsmen and women that do that and we, we see it in different tennis golf we see it all over Tiger did it Serena Williams does it all the, the best do it and then they back it up and if you back it up it's fantastic, and they certainly did that. Yeah, they certainly did. Yeah, it's a very difficult subject to get into without real getting into real depth. Um, but, and, and I'm not sure we have the place and the time to do that today. I will say that I, I'm with you. The Some of the storylines around them, it just became so tiring. And I I just embraced all of them. For yeah. me, any, time, any kind of discussion is good for yeah. the sport okay when they're not in the limelight enough get them in the limelight and talk about them i don't care whether you're talking about the, the political stories of megan rapino i don't care yeah just let people talk about yeah. it because that's making these people get the, into a into a spotlight where they're obviously stars of course and what people are, need to understand now in 2019 the nfl realized this a long time ago the nba have been the biggest believers of this for the last five years is that you and I, we talk on this podcast a lot about the X's and O's, about what goes on on the pitch. But I think a lot of things in modern day life around sport don't do that. And you think about what's going on right now with the NBA and Kawhi Watch and the amount of superstars that have moved every single month of every single last few years. People are obsessed with that, but they don't watch all the games 
They don't watch. No. They're not going to go watch the Clippers in November, for example. But people are so obsessed with this. But my point being is that these people transcend the sport. They're megastars, and so if you're having a discussion about them off the field, it might not suit what you and I like. But yeah. other people, that's how you get casual supporters buying in. Yeah, the the game grows through um, people caring. 24-7 and that's why good or bad yeah NBA NFL they've been experts at that there's stories going on all the time and what does actually happen is yeah you're right KJ the, the, the game's almost become secondary but what'll happen now is you know 10 million 50 million 100 million people will go and watch Clippers game next season because right. of the the Kawhi move and, and Paul George and uh, you know NFL things happen in the game quarterbacks move there's big controversial stories everybody's watching the games because of that. And then you, you, your love of the game grows and it's the same with women's soccer. These girls have been been very frank and, and, and very open with a lot of subjects out with the game of football. They've become uh, celebrities and personalities for the, their outspoken words, the, the way that they look, everything that goes on with the game. But what I'm, the point I'm trying to make is it's fantastic. It gets people interested. They're on the front covers of magazines. They're at the top of newsstands. But then they go and deliver on the field. And so anybody who, who hears about these girls and, and women playing in the US, they want to go and watch the game. Yeah. Then they see them play on the field. I mean, they were absolutely sensational. Some of their some of their play was just terrific. Some of their players, I love Dunn at left back. Yeah. I thought she was amazing. She was. Rose Lavelle is an, an outstanding player. I'm, I'm sort of keeping away for the Alex Morgans and the Rapinos that we all know. Mm. We, we know how good Although they are. I actually think Morgan's underrated. Yeah. I think her overall game, like she's- Her presence is, is like huge, strong. isn't it? strong. Yeah, like, she really is. The work yeah. that she does for the team and her yeah. presence is absolutely huge. Um, she she maybe doesn't look as as fluid as other players, no. but she is very important for her team. And overall, they just the strength and depth as well. And uh, the argument was there that they could have maybe played two teams that got to the final. Mm-hmm. You have to think that might have been the case. They were they were amazing. They were a brilliant team to watch and full value. You and I are completely impartial guys on every part of the game, every yeah. team. And again, uh, forget what you think about them personality-wise, it's about what they do in the field and they're the best team by a mile. By a mile. And I actually applaud them for generating those kind of storylines yeah. and facing them head-on. I mean, we live in a world now where, like, you can't have it both ways. We're in the media, and I'm not in this World Cup because I wasn't asked to work it, but I'm in charge of trying to get things out of people in that industry all the time. Yeah. And if we were just told everyone turned into a robot and didn't want to share any kind of views on anything, then it would be a pretty boring world, mate. Yeah, you know I'm, what I mean? I'm a little bit different because I'm an ex-player and so I, I'm a bit more of the traditional, you know, don't talk, just play kind of thing. I get but, that. But I understand, uh, you know, why you say that. And obviously on the other side that, I, that I'm on now with you, um, it, it's great when you have stories, when you have things to talk about and it's not just about a robotic um, player on the field. So, yeah... <laughs> You know, this is not a political show, so we don't want to spend 10 minutes here on whether they should have said this or did that. Or no. I, I think some teams that are a bit too outspoken, but again, I just want to focus on, you can say what you want when you perform, when mm. you deliver on the field. And, and that's what this team does. And that is hard because you're basically asking everybody, scrutinise us, watch us, hate us, love us, whatever you want, have such polarising views on us as a team. And you're taking on all that attention and, and publicity and then you're delivering. That is exceptional. That is exceptional. And that has to be recognised. I, I loved watching them. And um, like I said, some girls I knew, some girls I didn't know. 
I'm going to keep an eye on a number of them. Dunn was super best left back by a mile. Just loved the way that she played, her yeah. tenacity, her agility. She was a fantastic player. Yeah, and you talk about people getting to know these girls. They, get, you know, I didn't keep a tally on it, but you know, by all accounts, literally thousands and thousands of new followers on all platforms, on Instagram and Twitter for for a lot of these people. And meanwhile, probably the best player in the world, Ada Hedberg, is pretty stagnant at eighty five thousand on Twitter right yeah. now. So that's a, that's an example of where it goes right now. And, yeah. and Hedberg's probably she is pretty outspoken as well. Of course, but that's where you have to come into things. People don't understand that when you speak in an English language speaking country and yeah. it's all dominant by what they're saying that is the advantage of the united states yeah it's it is an advantage it can be a hindrance but it is a superior advantage because and this is why i don't like sometimes people in the media just making a, a very straight line between a and b and saying they're only this way or they're only brash and arrogant because of their nationality i think it's very very dangerous yeah very dangerous indeed and you know they have had they have been given advantages and they've taken advantage of that i've actually interviewed a couple of these players on this team in the past and they are they are i'm not going to name who they are but they went they are not like that at yeah. all so you know some of them are like that but like anything you've got to be careful with generalities you've got to be yeah. very careful i know what i love what this group does they do it as a group they talk they as do. a group yeah there's never ones and twos and there never seems to be any split within the group the uh, u.s women's soccer and I, I think that's really important i think uh you know the head coach ellis is a big part of that but i do love how everything comes out of the kind of the spokeswoman of the group you know and, mm. and i think that's absolutely critical when you think about hederberg who's probably on the same kind of page and, and the issues that she's speaking about she's doing it on her own she doesn't really have the buy-in from her, her federation she doesn't really have the support from her players so i i think and again the u.s do it and then they play yeah Heatherbird did it and, and stopped she should have been at this world cup she's made a big mistake here in my opinion you just talk about her followers kg yeah. and the presence that she has and she should have been at this world cup she should have been showcasing alongside the the, the, the sam cares of the world and you know other players who, who graced this world cup for a week or two or you know the group stage the last 16 the quarterfinals and then they came and they went Everybody played their part in what was a, a tremendous event. Again, took the women's game to another level. And, and every year or every four years, I should say, the Women's World Cup just seems to get better, more professional, uh, better quality. And I'm, I'm enjoying it and I'm looking forward to four years' time. Final thoughts on it before we move to Mexico versus US. Um, the next host will be announced March 20th, 2020 for the next World Cup. Um, Megan Rapino was Golden Ball winner, Golden Boot winner, no dis- yeah, no, no, no arguments with that. Um, without question, the best player. My final thoughts are that there's a lot of comparisons to the women's game towards the men's game and what they need to do more of. All I would say is that I think they have a blank canvas to do what the hell they want. Yeah, and you copy everything in the men's game. Be very, very careful. I think they have an opportunity to make things very different. Yeah. You don't necessarily have to have a World Cup every four years. Why not have one every three years? Yeah. Why not have another big tournament next year? Figure it out. Why do you need a 2014 World Cup? Just because the men used to? Why do you need to do it in that format? Yeah. You can do lots of things that other sports do. You can put the best teams in one group and say three out of the four qualify. So you've got them all playing to an elite level. Yeah. And you can put the Thailands and the other ones in another group and figure that out. Yeah. Open the wide scheme of things and think differently yeah. don't be slaves to fifa i know that they will run your tournament but that's where you need to do now they are the big say in the game move forward and don't copy everything the men's game doing because the comparisons will never go away anyway do what's best for your sport not what's best for men's yeah i think that's very interesting what you've just said there and and, and to be 
sort of a little bit different and 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 try some things that are a bit unique. To me, the, the real growth of, of any sport and, and the women's game will come through the domestic leagues. We've saw great surges in, in, in England and in France and uh, and in Europe in general with, with some big clubs putting in some good money into their women's programmes, which is exactly what they should do. Yes. I think we need to get a little bit of surge in North America. I'd love to see some Canadian teams play in the NWSL. I hope that comes, or indeed a domestic league in Canada. I don't know how, how possible that would be, but we need some domestic teams within Canada that are playing within this league, and NWSL has to get better. Otherwise, more and more of these girls are going to leave for Europe earlier. They're yeah. going to miss school. They're going to have a year of school. They're going to go right to PSG and Bayern Munich and Man City and Arsenal and all these, Leon, all these teams that are uh, really developing their women's programme. That, to me, will, will show us the real growth of the women's game. If these domestic leagues start getting 10, 15, 20,000 coming to games and they become the best players in the world are, are in Europe or in wherever, then I think the women's game will go to another level. Carmelina Moscato, our friend, was on TSN's World yep. Cup coverage and she talked something about that herself. And she was brilliant, by the way, on that as well and talking about how important it was to make sure that they don't lose those players between 17 and 21 as well. So go out and check that out. Uh, later in the day, the United States didn't win a final in the CONCACAF Gold Cup. They lost 1-0 to CONCACAF Powerhouse Mexico as Tata Martino finally won a regional tournament after coming so close in Copa America. Um, Mexico beat the United States by one goal to nil, a goal by Jonathan Dos Santos in the 72nd minute. In the end, uh, you and I were messaging each other during the match. Half time, I would say that the United States were the better side. Yep. They certainly missed their opportunities. Joel Zialto had a golden opportunity inside seven minutes to put the ball in the back of the net. By the way, I thought Ochoa was outstanding on that Magnificent. play. Magnificent. Outstanding. He had an injury. Did you just read yeah. that today? Yeah. A doctor injury. Couldn't kick it out with his right foot. Like, Tata convinced them to play. Right. I never noticed. I guess he just took every goal kick short or with his left. I knew that they were talking about in the second half there was concerns about him because the sideline reporter had admitted that he'd heard that he'd been injured. Yeah. Um, but even in that play... What a goalie. Are you surprised he's not played that? I know he's played that yeah, at a great level. But I know, in France. We, he's so consistent. 2014 World Cup, he was one of the best goalkeepers yeah, as well. And people talked about it then. But we were so used to seeing Jose Alstor break through in one-on-ones like that and score goals. And I think a lot of the time it's just because the... MLS goalkeepers just collapse. Yeah. Like this guy. Fall down. Just, yeah. You know what I mean? So they make it easier for him. It was yeah. just another level. He forced Altidore yeah. to go left foot and put it wide. Um, and my point being that he had a the good USA came out of the blocks on fire. Yeah. They, they were, they were basically like a, a 400 meter runner going in a marathon, weren't they? Well, at that point, because it really ran out of gas, but they were on, on, they, they could have, they could have saw out the opponent they were that good they had their chances and uh, Josie certainly ran out of gas he was magnificent for 30 minutes let's give him even the half and then non-existent till I don't know the, the hour mark where yeah, Zardes came off. on for him um, so so that was a bit concerning I guess if you're if you're the US national team and you're, you're TFC you want to see Josie a little bit fit on that again proving when he is fit and he, and he is on so he's almost unplayable he's, he's control and touch for Pulisic's chance as well was yes, magnificent it was big chance another big save by Ochoa um, the US were really good I loved their their tactics they were on the front foot there was a lot of pressure on the Mexicans to, to stop them from playing out winning the ball back a number of times Ariola magnificent on the left uh, Pulisic sort of everywhere m moving around Bradley at the base McKinney they look really good 
But in these kind of games, these big football matches, you've got to score your chances, especially mm. against a side like Mexico. You keep them quiet. You keep Raul Jimenez quiet for 45 minutes. Pizarro hardly had a touch. Mm. He wasn't really great. You couldn't get any of the, the real quality width for the fullbacks. So Rodriguez was pretty good in the first half on the right-hand side, but Gallardo was non-existent. Yeah. And then you get in at half-time, it's still 0-0 couple of little tweaks here and there and the Mexicans came out completely dominated the second half. Yeah, they dominated. They're fitter though, I think. They are. Don't you? Yeah, they are. They suffocate you, don't they? They play at a level where they, you know, you try and match them and they, but in the end, you, you can't. can't. You can't because the, the tempo, don't the you tempo think, they bring. Don't you think there are, there's a, a number of players in that team that are extremely underrated? I do, yeah. yeah. Edson Alvarez. I was going to say Edson Alvarez. Deep yeah. line midfielders yeah. that I've seen back well. as well. Play everywhere, right yeah. back, yeah. plays everywhere. We saw him play three positions, yeah. you and I. Well, he's, he's another one. Punk-a-calf. We talked on the last, goal, the last Gold Cup podcast we did and we talked about it after they played Canada. Like Gallardo, he's, a, he's another UEFA Champions yeah. League caliber player. Yeah. You know, yeah. and then Herrera's not even there. Rodolfo he already Pizarro. is. Pizarro. Pizarro absolutely is. Diego Lainez, not yeah. even there. No, exactly. Lozano, not even there. Right, you know. Raul Jimenez was, was excellent in the Premier League yeah. all season. Was, was a great build. Was top scorer, was he? He was. Yeah, we picked that man on the show, actually. Yeah. Not that that was difficult. Um, <laughs> <laughs> it, was like way, that. it was like going for the bullseye and only putting the bullseye on the wall. <laughs> Before I forget, uh, very impressed by Jonathan DeSantis. Yes. Yes. Really, his energy, he's running. I thought he was terrific, KJ. And, yeah, he was. And he has been this entire season with LA Galaxy. Yeah. So keep an eye on him. You know, he, he, he's sort of an underrated football player as well, where, you know, he has his moments. You think, well, he's okay. I think he's having a great year with LA Galaxy. And, and I thought he had a wonderful tournament and he was especially good in the second half. He was a catalyst for that energy surge that Mexico just came with, just relentless running off the back of Bradley a number of times who... Had a good tournament, Michael Bradley. He's always going to have quality, but I think he's starting to show his, his years a little bit now. Mm-hmm. His legs are getting a little bit slower and he needs support round about him. When he gets isolated, he looks he looks vulnerable. So uh, that to me is an issue for, for club and country. Uh, he's on the ball, unquestionable. He, he was still excellent, but that's a problem. And I think Mexico, like you said, were just a fitter team. They just had that wee bit more quality when it really mattered and they, they just deserved a great game. I really enjoyed watching it. It was a great game. Dos Santos with the winner, uh, he just kind of drifted away from McKinney and Bradley just kind of went to the ball and and then allowed him to get into that space. So, um, But, you know, not an easy goal to cover, but the soft feet of Raul Jimenez in the build-up again. Brilliant. His, his feet are so soft, you know. Yeah. He's such a, an outstanding player. It looked like he was laying it off for, for Jota and, and, and yeah. Molyneux in November or something, yeah. you know what I mean? He was in the middle of the Copa America <laughs> final and doing it. So... Um, he got MVP, I think, didn't he, uh, Raul Jimenez? Yeah, was that what it was? I, I think, think it, I said top scorer. Top scorer? I think he got top off. scorer. And then, it was tight at the top for scorer, wasn't it? David got top scorer, right, so I think yeah. Raul Jimenez yeah. got MVP. Yeah, so he got yeah. the golden ball, that's what I meant. Sometimes the ball and the boot, you know. The top, the, <laughs> get mixed up. I mean, I'm not a big fan of individual awards <laughs> and big tournaments anyway, as people understand in the past. Um, next tournament is through 2021, and again, most likely in the United States, but the uh, amount of crowds for the Mexican games comparable to the United States games just shows you who's yeah. really interested in these in these matches and of course we will get into the Canada game um, the Canada camp- campaign uh, coming up shortly with Canada boss John Herdman before we get there let's finish off with the third final of the day Brazil beat Peru by three goals to one Overall, tournament feelings were not um, satisfactory for me. Not a great tournament indeed. Yeah. Uh, Final was a decent game. 
Not, not bad. Not a bad game. Yep. The pitch, the standard of the pitches are a disgrace. Yeah. In my opinion. I agree. Uh, awful. Absolutely awful. Bobbling around. Bobbling game, around. Yeah. The incompetence of the officials yeah. is mind-blowing. Inside the, uh, the VR truck and on the field. Correct. Mind-blowing. Like, they went to VAR. Uh, he went over for two major decisions in the game where I'm not sure why he bothered going over there. Yeah. You know, we're trained now as broadcasters and, and we're very fortunate. And MLS is obviously laughed at by around the world, but it has set a pretty high threshold in terms yeah. of VAR that, oh, if he's running over there, then maybe he's going to run over there and change his decision. He's been recommended <laughs> that it's clear and obvious. I just got the feeling these refs were just running over there to have another look at stuff. Did you? <laughs> yeah. Just an just extra have, look. Like, which is not what it's for. It's not what it's for. Yeah. I get it. Like these, these players are like, they're in yeah. your face at this point, aren't they? We're supposed to get away from this. It's actually actually got worse like the Peruvians were round screaming at his face like go look at the screen yeah, go look at the screen yeah, yeah. like he's not supposed to go there on the influence of the players I think he was yeah like at one point like the penalty was, it was clear penalty yeah like I mean it's of a handball like yeah. it's unfortunate I mean it's it, five years ago we would have argued that but yeah. these days we know that when it touched the hand like That's that in right. the box it's a penalty Ex- kick exactly couldn't it. believe that First of all, I couldn't believe VR suggested he go and look at it again. I, I don't know if you did. That's well, my point. exactly. Probably, yeah. yeah. I don't Good know point. what he's looking at. Yeah. Why are they suggesting it? It's a handball. You've given the handball. Yeah. Stay away from it. And then the second penalty, what I'm referencing, which... But is he allowed to look at the screen without being told in his ear? You I, should look at I the screen. I don't think so. Oh, right. But I think... You I think, think he might have just done it? Well, like, he, he awarded the pen in the 41st minute. He went in the back of the net in, like, the 45th. Yeah. It's messing around <laughs> out there. And then, obviously, the two... The, we're jumping around, but there was another penalty, like, in the game yeah. where the Peruvian defender just barged him out of the way. Yeah, yeah. Penalty again. Clear penalty for me. Yeah, I thought so, yeah. You know? Yeah. And the Peruvian's like, no, nah, no, nah, go look at it, go look at it. So we have to go through this whole nonsense yeah. of him running over there again. He looks at it for literally 10 seconds and goes, no, it's another pen. Like, yeah. Run back over. Yeah. I don't know. So the, the reason why we bring it up is because it was, it, was, um, it was an unsatisfactory tournament for me. Yeah. It was an example of an international tournament being a long way away from the club game miles behind the club game um players not caring about things attitude was poor the the overall refereeing was bad there was a lot of stop start but to turn it to a positive i thought it was very very fitting that brazil won something without neymar yeah did you yeah i did because we've said for a while that brazil we watched in the world cup last year actually take neymar off they're probably a better team yeah yeah team and there he was in the stands and he wasn't on the field and uh they i like jesus out wide we haven't seen jesus much of that was excellent he was i know glad you brought that off, him, but yeah shame because that was never a red card never, that's it? another example <laughs> never a red card crying at the side yeah. it, was, it was all i don't know where to laugh or, or feel for him i know but he did great, anyway, didn't he? Out, out, he was brilliant out wide. out wide. He was very good. Set up the first goal. Uh, brilliant little bit of skill ball into a box and yeah, scored skill. scored the second goal and looked really lively. I, I liked how uh, he could play that position with some kind of discipline. And then obviously at times he'd end up through the middle and for me, no, he'd end up wide. And I thought they two actually connected really well. I did too. The semi-finals and the final. I agree. Um, so that's an interesting one to watch if, if Chi-Chi wants to get both of them in the team and and try and have some kind of partnership there. Obviously, it's not going to be a conventional, you know, two up top, but some kind of interchange between them was interesting. And with you, KJ, it was, it left a real sour taste in the mouth, this tournament. Uh, VR was a shambles throughout some of the decisions. You know, we've seen two and three goals in a game and none of them were getting allowed. Some of them, of course, were just offside. It's a correct decision, but one was a handball. Um, I can't remember the game. I think it was... Um, um, 
Mm. I know. Which you know who I mean, yeah. don't we you? Chile, Chile um, game, and it was a handball, and it was it was never a handball in my opinion. Came in his chest area, and Vidal put it in the back of the net, got disallowed. Yeah. So there was all sorts going on. The pitches were were shocking for that level of football, bobbly and wet, and just just nowhere near good enough to standard. And the attitude you said it of these players top class players just moaning and cheating and falling over and yeah. slowing the play and Messi claiming corruption and this kind of thing yeah. it's just it just left a real sour taste in my mouth and I was very disappointed because I expected more we always go on about um, South American qualifying don't we we oh, love yeah. it we love fantastic, watching it fantastic. games are amazing and we've enjoyed uh, big games in, in previous Copa Americas but there was not the same excitement for me with no this tournament near. same I think we've, uh, it was a classic case of uh, we've had too much Yeah, and I think the players have they're had too tired much. as well weren't they're they? far, far too tired yeah. it's ridiculous that they're still playing this tournament and by the way we've got another one next year oh, that's crazy next year Argentina, Colombia and then they're finally going to go to once every four years after Good. that um, but no you're right and, and, I, and I think the lack of interest in the tournament translated to the players yeah. and I think they were a little bit like they've come away from a professional environment you can only imagine these tournaments where it's not as professional south american it won't be run well no they're probably not paid well they're, they're, they're there you know what i mean yeah. all of that factors in and yeah. that's what you know you've been there you've lived with these guys that that leads to that kind of behavior on the field animosity animosity and i'm not and by any way shape or form condoning it but that'll be it they've come from a professional environment where everything's given to them everything's run well officiating's pretty much up to standard and then they go there and yeah. they just lose their minds just blows it off so um, not a great spectacle at all but congratulations to Brazil who won their ninth one deserving. and again winning on the home soil deserving lots of things to like about that okay they are the finals of Sunday that we've recapped um, let's take a break now and get Mr. John Herdman on the phone Okay, now we're delighted to be joined by Canadian men's national team head coach John Herdman on the phone. Uh, John, you're here with Christian and Stephen. Thanks for your time. Before we get to some of the questions around the Gold Cup, it's the first time we've had a chance to talk to you since uh, preparing for the quarterfinal against Haiti. We do want to thank you publicly uh, for being so gracious with your time with us during that time as bro as broadcasters uh, for the uh, rights holders for the Gold Cup. You were very good with your time. You didn't need to do that. Uh, so I did want to start with and say thank you, first of all, for that. And um, with that, it is, a bit, I guess, nine or ten days since we've had a chat. How's the last nine or ten days been for you, John? Yeah, it's, uh, it's been a bit of a roller coaster of emotions um, from getting back with your family after six weeks away, um, dealing with the immediate sort of aftershock of, of, of the Gold Cup quarterfinal with, with players and staff. And then that, that little bit of soul searching that you, you end up having to go through as, as, as an individual as you, you come out of, of these situations. You know, I faced something like this in 2015 where, you know, there's an opportunity that's been missing. You know, you go into those sort of different moods of, of, of anger, frustration, and then sort of realisation what it was and and then back to the, the logical side, which is what next? And, you know, at the same time, you're, you're painting the house, you've got your daughter jumping all over your back and, and you happen to become a dad again and a, a husband again. It's uh, It's been a, a crazy week. It's, 
But but being there before and lived it lived it before, it's uh, never easy. But good. Hey John, it's Stephen here. Uh, I just want to ask you on, you know, how difficult it is when you're spending so long with with a group of people. We both know what that's like living in each other's pockets for, you know, every day for a number of weeks and to to reflect on what happens in a game and, and try not be emotional about it in the first maybe few hours or, or 40 hours after it to take time to reflect, reflect sorry, so you can analyse it properly. How long did that take for you and, and were your sort of assumptions right after the game the same as what you sort of felt, you know, nine, ten days later where we are? Yeah, if you've been through it before in these, in these sort of circumstances, and like you say, the circumstance that, that you're dealing with is an opportunity, a, a genuine opportunity to miss. So when you look at that, it's it's not like you were in a position where there was minimal expectation and everything you did was a bonus and, and you come out of it with a glass half full sort of mindset. It's, it's definitely looking at the the things we could have done better. And I think immediately, your first thoughts just going to the team, to the staff, you're, you're looking at making sure they've got clarity on the situation, uh, making sure the right things have been done in wrapping up the camp and making sure people have been thanked that, that, that have put tireless amount of work in and, and make sure the captains have been heard as well. I think that was a, a critical part of, of what we did, but Coming out of it, you know, reflecting, you, you, you can't help but ask questions. What could I have done better? You know, what what could I have done in the preparation? And, and I'll go, you know, Stephen, I'll go back to right right at the beginning of taking over. You know, the Nations League preparation. Did it did it give us enough tough games? Could we have squeezed the friendly match game against tougher opponents? We went sort of seven seven games in a row without losing. <clears throat> and but the games that we we played never really prepared us for the for, for that moment. And I think that was the the first place I started. You know that was whether the preparation had been strong enough for that group. And then you start looking, you start looking at the tactics. You start looking at the moment from half time through. You know what did what did we get right? What did we get wrong? You know, what would you do differently if you had that time back again? I mean, that, that's just part of the process. And I think if you've lived this before, you end up with a process. I mean, I've, I met with some mentors over the weekend who've just helped me look a bit deeper inward at your own reflection to make sure you're, you're looking at yourself in the mirror properly. And, you know, there were some good conversations came out of that as well. Good stuff, John. Let's go through the game. Obviously, the first half starts and you guys are on top. You get the both goals and things. Are, uh, uh, there's a lot of encouragement there. There was a lot of chances, though, by Haiti in the first half that you, you probably would have looked at and thought, well, not a lot of chances, a few chances that you thought were a little bit uh, alarming. Um, how were you at the time analysing the game and how, how did you feel about it at half time in terms of what, what was to come? Well, I think, I think we knew it was going to be a tough match. We we knew coming in after watching them in Costa Rica, you know, the game before, but we'd, we'd had a chance to, to watch them in the Nations League against some of the teams we played against. And you could see that they had a very deliberate style that 
it would be hard to, to manage. They were going to create opportunities through transition and direct play, but also make it difficult for you to, to, to find rhythm in the game. Uh, just through the athleticism, you know, you, you feel like you've got into a space, you've opened them up on the side, and their athleticism is they can recover a lot quicker than, than anticipated. So, you know, I was expecting a, a tough, bumpy match, and we sort of set the mindset for the players in, you know, it, it, it will be, uh, don't expect to have the same rhythm you've had against Martinique or, or Cuba. It's it's going to be a bit of a fight. So coming in at half-time, while well, we were 2-0 up, you know, I, I think as a staff, as a, as, a, as a technical group, we felt that Haiti were, were in the game. They were definitely in the game. And, and, and what was critical for us, in our minds, was the third goal. And I think when you, when you 2-0 up and we addressed it at half-time, the 2-0 scoreline, you know, we opened the door to, to let them in. Uh, you know, history will tell us that, you know, once that first goal goes in, the second one goes in, and, and then typically games are lost. But, you know, we addressed this. We, we, we discussed in, in the dressing room that there has to be a mindset shift in this part that, number one, we, we, we keep the optimism of, of pushing for that fifth goal because once that goes in, you know, you, you tend to just kill the spirit of teams. You know, in, in, in the dressing room, it was a clear focus. We showed them three three clips from the first part. We analysed uh, three moments. Um, one was, you know, looking at when we played an opposite, opposite rhythm, how we could open them up. Because um, I felt that in the attacking third, we were we were forcing things too early. And we hadn't really stretched them enough. Side to side to be able to open, you know, central spaces. They're, they're physically, when you try to combine in the center, physically they were just too strong and able to, to compact that area. So we, we, we showed, you know, that rhythm and then we showed the threat. We showed that our line, our back four, we, we weren't getting up quick enough. Uh, there was too much space between our back four and midfield, which meant on the direct player, their second phase, they could pick it up and turn or combine off second phase. So we, we, we talked about tightening that line and tightening the distances and, and making sure that line was managed. And then the third thing was the transition. The, the little triangle they kept creating behind um, Marcus Cadinho and making sure that Marcus was aware about staying home more and the timing of getting forward while we were looking for that third goal. So, but I think, I think what was interesting in the dressing room, you just got that sense, you know, that the boys were in a fight. You, you could feel it. You, you could feel that they'd, they'd been in a fight that 45 minutes, mentally and physically. And, and it was a different feeling in the dressing room, even to... What we experienced in Mexico, where coming in a 1-0 down against Mexico was a different feeling. You just got the sense that they knew it was going to be tough that second half. Um, so, you know, I, I remember going around every player and, and engaging every single player and, and, you know, asking for that eye contact and make sure that they were ready to get in the fight again. So, you know, going out there the, the second half, I think... Um, they were they were in good mindset. I thought they started it well enough, and then then we have a, a moment, and I think the moment 
pretty much turn turn the game and that moment pretty much revealed where we're at at this stage, what step we've got to take. It's our opportunity now. So getting to that moment, John, when it happens and, and your thoughts on the sideline there, you're you're the man that can obviously change it and I know you would have been prepared for that and, and changes that you had in your mind. Did you get to make the changes that, that you wanted to make or did the game sort of have more moments that then just kind of changed what you, you wanted to do to tactics or in, indeed to personnel? Well, I think I think the game, yeah, yeah, yeah look, you know, you're always got your substitution plans ready. You've you've done your risk assessments before the game. You know, you've you've looked into these moments where you might be, you know, chasing a game or up a game comfortable or up in a game, and it's it's by fingernails. And you've got those plans ready. And at two one, you could sense that, you know, it was time to to start adding a bit of defensive steel in there, and and knowing that. You know that midfield, we we could really strengthen that with Mark Anthony Care with his physical presence. You know the, the guy's six foot plus and has a very combative style, but also to bring Azorio out with with one eye on, making sure he was rested for Mexico, um, which was a two day turnaround. So in in that mind, you know bringing Mark on was to, to just try and bring that that little bit more steel to the midfield and. And, and strengthen that part of the field, but also we we shifted tactically in that moment to four one four one. So, you know, we wanted to get a Tiba closer to the centre backs and put an outright screen in there that um, that gave us a chance then to to pick up more of the second phase because they they hadn't changed their rhythm coming out in the second half. They were, you know, they were still direct. They were still making sure that we were having to fight for everything in second phase. So, you know, we thought putting a Tiba in there would be a, would be a good solution. But what, what we learned in the, in the sort of five minutes after that is the team were just rocked. I mean, you could, you could sense, you could really sense from the sideline that it was almost like they were in a, in a panic. You know, the, the composure uh, had been lost and, and we, we just seemed to, to completely lose a rhythm. Um, whether that was attacking or even the decision making around, you know, the, the, the height of our line, it just it, it looked like we were out of out of sorts. So in in that moment, we were on the bench, and you, you're trying to analyse is it a tactical thing or is it now personnel? And uh, that moment, we had Sammy Piet uh, ready to come in. And he's, he, you know, he had his, his piece of paper in his hand and ready to come in to, to put Sammy in that, that holding midfield role and, and then to put a Tiber into, uh, into the midfield to bring Scotty Arfield out and pretty much to try and secure the, 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 the midfield and the structure. Because Sammy's that type of player that's, uh, you know, you have him, Tiber and Mark Anthony in the midfield, you know you're going to win the majority of second phase. So for us, it was, you know, we were within seconds of being able to put Sam in there and and then the penalty. So these are moments in football. I mean, if I had my time back, maybe I'd have, I'd have got him in a second, a fraction earlier and slowed the aim down. And, but it's just, 
these are the moments you just wish you could have back and and they don't come. Yeah, that's that's the big learning for me, I think, on the sideline. Just I'm not sure, you know, whether you could have done it any quicker or or you could have made these decisions or there was better decisions to make, but I know in our minds these were the the right changes to make at that time and the minute that second goal went in, you know, Piet had to sit down and you know, you're back in at two all and you're looking for goals again. You're looking for that third goal as well as trying to manage their threat, which was definitely in transition and, and direct football. John, um we want to talk to you about talk to you about Alfonso Davies a little bit. Now here on the podcast, we're big fans of Davies playing at left back right now for Canada and and then we've seemed to be in the minority a little bit. We've taken some hits ourselves on that. Um but you picked Alfonso Davies at left back in that game. Uh we felt the front three deserved to play in, in that game, but we'd like to hear your opinion on on what you like about Alfonso at left back and, and then maybe just take just talk us through uh, as a true leader of men in that very difficult situation how hard it was or what went through your mind to, to eventually bring off Cavallini and push Davies forward uh, when you're chasing for the game? Yeah, again, you know, for Alfonso, it, it, it's always going to be situational based on, you know, what the game needs and what what you want from a, from a left winger or, or a right winger. I think for us, we know that, Davies has got the competency to play at that left-back position. He played there for the Vancouver Whitecaps. He's played there at Bayern Munich. And and in many of the games in Nations League, he, he plays there, you know, for Canada. He played there for three games for Canada. And I think when you, you look at Alfonso and, and the tactics that we we employ, we, we, we get our full-backs high and wide. And, and that relationship with Jonathan Azario on that left-hand side, Azario moves well to to create those those exchanges where Alfonso ends up being a winger, but he doesn't stand there where he can be targeted by a, an opponent or have multiple opponents who can start picking him up. He arrives into spaces late. He arrives off well-timed movements from Azario. So a lot of the assists he had in the tournament were were from. You know, those combinations between either Junior uh, and, and Jonathan, uh, which which would open that space for him. So, I mean, there's, there's, you know, there's, there's a reality. There's a tactic around, you know, Alfonso turned up at a Gold Cup in 2017 and everyone knew by the end of it who he was. They had no idea who he was coming into it. This tournament, everyone knew who Alfonso Davies was. And in terms of tactically, uh, I'd imagine many people thought, stop Davies, you'll stop Canada. So, you know, we just tried to put him in positions where he could arrive in those parts of the field um, uh, later, as well as with more space. Um, and, and I'm not just to be that typical transition player. And, and then if you look at the, the story, how things unfolded, for Alfonso, he, he played... Our Trinidad match in left wing. Um, he played the Martinique game at left wing. He played the game against Mexico at left wing. He played the last 30 minutes in, in the Cuba game at left wing. And he played the last 20 minutes in uh, the Haiti game at left wing as well. So, you know, what he, what he showed was that level of versatility. But the reality check is with Sam Adekube unavailable, Marcel de Jong 
out with a ruptured Achilles. You know, that left-back position was was a vulnerability for our team. And, and Alfonso, outside of Ashton Morgan, who we're all aware hadn't had a great amount of playing time for TFC this year, you know, he was he was a player that could play that role and, and play it well. Now, your argument could be, you know, well, surely he's the best wide forward or he's the best forward we've got. But you go back to that last goal cup outside of Davies, you know, Hoylett scored, Arfield scored. In this goal cup, we had Jonathan David, who's just won the golden boot. Cavallini, who finished second in the, you know, golden boot race, tied with Jimenez. So these, these two players scored 11 goals between them, and particularly Junior, who's who scored goals as well for Canada in this tournament and in the build-up to this tournament. I mean, if you look at the out-and-out goal scorers, these are the guys that are producing for Canada this year and, and through this tournament. So I think, by and large, we, we, we've said this all along. The biggest challenge we've got is we've got a lot of great players in that front line in the midfield, and we've, we've certainly got to keep building our depth in, in the back four. My philosophy in this tournament's been put the best players on the pitch. And if you've got a bit of a square peg in a round hole, then you've got to build around that. So I think for anyone that watched Alfonso's game, he, he did well at left back. If you're if you're a defender analysing his his performance and you know coming out of Bayern Munich there, they're certainly identifying him with those qualities as well. He he does okay there. And for us to be able to have him, Jonathan David or Junior Hoylett and Osorio all combining on that left-hand side, it's, it, it's, it's part of you know a, a winning formula. Well, I'm glad you bring up the tournament in, in general, John, because I believe that there's there's no real negatives in, in any tournament. I know you're the same. I think there's only learnings. And this was very successful for Canada. So take us through you know your, your thoughts overall in the tournament, what you learnt from your group being with them day in, day out for a number of weeks and, you know, the learnings of, obviously, the disappointment of losing, but of, of the successes he's had as well throughout it. Well, I think I think the, the biggest learning, Stephen, is is that moment, that disappointment, and, and how we all handled it. I think that's, that's the biggest learning we can take from this, and, and it's what an opportunity, I think, it is for this group now to, to galvanise around it. There's... They, they they wanted they they had three things that that they highlighted. It was respect, unite our country, and inspire our country. And and these are the three things they were striving for. So there was absolute devastation after this. But I think the players they were able to uh, to rally around back in the hotel and 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 get together and 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 bring it to some closure at that point because. I think for many of them, they realised that they they put a hell of a shift in. They they they've worked hard as a group. They pushed each other. You know, culturally, they they stuck together for for nearly six weeks, and 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 the bond was getting stronger between the players. And and I think that the, the sheer frustration is that moment where you need calm, composure. You need someone to put an arm around Gadinho. No one did. And, and, and that's the, that's what's, what's, what's killing us. Like something as simple as let's bring the group together, refocus them on the field, reframe 
you know, get your heads back into what our next task is, it didn't happen. And, and you know, listening to the captain speak after after the, the tournament to the players, you, it really does tell a story. I mean, you know, one, one of the captains, you know, talked about 45 minutes of football won't define us. You know, that's, it's a massive missed opportunity. We're all going to feel this for the rest of our careers, but we're going to we're going to build from this. We, we we will get better from this moment if we continue in the direction we're continuing with the culture, with the on-field tactical approach. So I think there's coming out of this, Stephen. What you've just highlighted is that is the moment that that one moment there where. We could have used that to, to to build and to get stronger, like Mexico did. You know, when they we pull that goal back against them, and you can feel momentum shifting, they're able to rally around that and find that next gear. And and that's what Canada's got to do because I think we all know we're all consensus. You, you look at all the results in this tournament, from Jamaica to the USA to Mexico to Haiti everyone's there. Like, everyone's almost right in that fight to win a tournament within one goal. So it's these moments that make massive differences. And we've put a lot of work into the culture and and, and, and building a strong foundation so players can be themselves and, and perform. But that's a piece of the culture that's not there yet. And we have to build that. And I think we'll only build it by playing tough matches. Not USVI, not Dominica, not not a uh, French guy on at home. You know those tough games like we had in St Kitts, where it's tough. You know that that's what we we've got to make sure that we have more of those matches. And we've got we've got the games against USA coming, and certainly you know part of my reflection and and the planning will be to to target more games in those those windows. Um, and, and to really try and push to, to have those extra games. Absolutely fascinating stuff, John. Your insight is is tremendous and you've shared a lot with us. Before I do let you go, I was going to ask you about the QBUSA games, but you just highlighted that. So maybe I'll let you go with this. Um, we still don't know officially whether it is Atiba Hutchinson's final time playing for Canada, but just um, what was it like having him around the group and, and, and having an opportunity to work with Atiba during a tournament setting? Look, my advice to you is to, to get him on your shore. I mean, this guy is uh, is as solid a human being as you're ever going to meet. He's never too high, never too low. He, he can really bring clarity to people in, in, in moments of adversity. And I think that moment at the end of the game, when he we brought the team together and he, he said some words, I mean, what... what he, 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 <laughs> Just what a, what a human being, first and foremost. And he's seen everything in football. He's experienced almost everything. But what he said is, this is, this is the start for this team. He feels it. He, he, he genuinely feels that this team and this country are right on the cusp of, of making it. And, and he wants to be part of that. I, I, can, I can tell you, I don't think it's his last game. He, he said he's not enjoyed his international football as much as he had in his whole career as he has this last year. He, he loves the, the culture we've created. He enjoys the, what, we, what we're trying to achieve and clarity on, on what we're trying to achieve. And 
I think you'll see a team of Packies, uh, and I think from the performances, you, you can also see he's, he's still got a lot to give to this country. So, you know what? My advice, Christian and Stephen, get him on the show. Ask him some questions. Get him to, to talk about how we felt about Canada and where, where we're at and where we're going. I think uh, he's a guy that believes that uh, we can still get places and we still are going to. And as I've said, he, he sees this moment to learn from and, and to take us to the next level. Well, John, you can't say this, but I can. I've spoken to Atiba before. We will get him on the show, and I know he's a big, big believer in you. And if he's a big believer in you, that's enough for us yep. right now. Again, thank you so much. You've been so gracious with your time. Thanks for answering some key questions and going into real detail. And we would expect nothing else from you. You're a detail yep. kind of guy. So we, we really appreciate your time. Um, enjoy some time, some valuable time with your family, and uh, we'll see you in September, September sir, for some very big games against Cuba in the US. Thanks, John. Really appreciate it, mate. No, thank you guys. Appreciate it. Thanks, John. Keep up the great work. We'll see you soon. All the best. Thank you. Fascinating stuff from John. Yeah. Absolutely fascinating. Very honest. Very honest, yeah. And then we asked him the questions and and, and hopefully many of the listeners wanted to hear. That's what we're here for. Exactly. And um, yeah, the insight was, was interesting. The Alfonso Davies stuff for me is particularly trendy in terms of the, the topic that's trending right now around Canadian soccer. Lots of people discussing about what's his best position. And I think the lack of discussion around the next point is interesting. Nobody has really said he doesn't deserve to play. Yeah. So if you don't want him to play left back, are you going to tell me that right now, based on current form, and I don't think John would say this, but he, I, I don't know you about whether he's hinting it or not or what, but we can say that the the front three basically what John's telling us was were, were removable yeah for what they were able to bring in training what they were able to bring in attitude what they were able to bring in goals and assists Alfonso Davies just based on the fact that you've got a reputation son and you've been signed by Bayern Munich that doesn't mean that you're going to be automatically in that spot no and I don't think that his um his form or his profile at the moment fits the way that John likes that front three to look KJ you think about it at times. Hoylet looks like an inside forward. Very fluid, aren't they? Jonathan David, there's right. a lot of movement. You know, and Al- Alfonso is an out-and-out winger. Yeah, of course, he can come inside. We've some do it at times with white caps and that, but it's not natural to him. So, really, his natural play is using that incredible athleticism of his and getting down the wing. Now, I don't love him when he faces up a fullback. I like it when he comes deep. John mentioned that as well, where mm. when he comes like a train and he comes from deep and you have a Hoylet who's maybe tucked inside and he's then playing him in on the overlap I think that's when he's most effective so to me he has to play left back is to defend better and learn how to defend better and relish defending good defenders love defending just as much as they love scoring goals or attacking probably more he has to get to that mindset for him to be the top player that he can be if he gets to that mindset and he listens to good coaches and all the the great stuff he's going to get plays with great players I think he can be world class in that position I just don't think he can ever be world-class as a winger. I agree. No, and not a world-class winger for me. And we've done, we've done this before where we've compared star players at his age. Yeah. And not, for me, you know, and we I think it's very important to bring it up because John has been 
some people have given him a lot of stick since the tournament. Yeah. Well, why would you play your best player at left back? My point is, he's not his best player. No, right now. I agree. He's not his best player. And we need to change our mindset. And whether that's changing a mindset negatively towards Alfonso or the opposite way of more positive around the other players, why should he automatically walk in the team just because Bayern Munich spent 20 million on him when yeah. you've got a Premier League player on one wing, one of the best young players in, in Canada right yeah, now who just course. won the Golden Boot in the other one, and another guy who plays as a nine and does it very effectively. You're not going to play in his position anyway, no. so he's almost out of the conversation, yeah. but you can't take the other two out. So that's a conversation we, we need to think about. He's quite lucky in a way, in, there's, no left in, back. there's no brilliant left back because yep. where would he be playing then? You know yeah, what I mean? So I agree. That's, you, we would be having the discussion whether he would be in the best 11 yeah. if there was an outstanding left back within Canadian soccer at the minute and no disrespect to any left backs that are there but he's Mark anthony Kay played in that position Alfonso ended up sort of making that his own but it's because there's a, a lack of a clear number one choice at left back that Alfonso's getting in there otherwise I think we would be discussing is he in their best 11 at this moment? potential is still on the ceiling let's not forget that but you got to do your talking on the pitch this has been a theme in this show and Alfonso Davies has not done enough of that he's not been on the pitch enough in Bayern Munich and he's not done enough of that at this Gold Cup so he's got a big summer ahead of him KJ to prove again and again to the doubters and the people that love him that he's capable of developing his game, getting better and being consistent on the field. Last one from me before we get to Shawnee for the headlines if he's my boss in any walk of life, and I've listened to what he's just said, I have to say, I feel better about it. And I'll tell you why. I've come up a lot, come up against a lot of people, and you've come up with more people than I have in competitive environments in any kind of thing who can't get past themselves. They didn't do that in that interview. He could have. Yeah. But it's 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 raw. It's raw for Canadian soccer fans, let alone the guy who stood on the side of the field. It's raw right now. It's still just happened, okay? These wounds are still open. But he already came on and admitted mistakes. He came on and he was open and with his discussions. And that's all you can ask is it show a bit of a human side, not hang out behind words and PowerPoint presentations and just say, this is what we're doing and this yeah. is what we're sticking. He showed an emotional side of him to him. And I think Canadian fans, hopefully have listened to that, can bring a tremendous respect to him for that. I, I thought it was really impressive. I, I do. He took responsibility. Great Any point, great yeah. leader does that. Accountability, humility, all the words that we band around when we talk about great leadership. And John proved all of them there in that discussion. Now, he's got to then go on and prove that they've actually learned from these mistakes. Yeah. And he, he makes he makes better decisions, the players make better decisions, and, and everyone prospers in the future. That That's the facts and the, the, the hard uh, task, being a head coach and, and being the manager of the Canadian national team. But the first start of that process has been done by John Hireman. He's assessed it, assessed it properly, things that he liked, things that he doesn't like within the team setting, within uh, a situation where you're under real adversity and also individually, what I like from players mentally, physically, uh, positionally. And I think that he's going through the, the process in the right way, KJ. Brilliant interview for me, really honest and open and and um, and ready for the future. I, I still get that sense of optimism from it, yeah, which I love. Yeah, you can see why players buy in, can't you? doom and gloom, is there? It's, it's, this is what happened. This is what went wrong. Let's look forward. He said, the, my favourite two words, what's next? Mm. It's always about what's next when you're a high-performing athlete or coach or whatever it may be. What's next? How do we learn from that experience, good and bad, and take it forward to what's next? And I think this team are on the verge of something really good. 
It wasn't a great night, we know that, but they're on the verge of something really good and it's only going to be successful from here on. Yeah, in. exactly. What's next? And let's hope what's next for Atiba Hutchinson is, it sounds like, maybe another Canada yeah, game. So some good, great. good news there as well uh, for future guest Atiba Hutchinson. <laughs> Over to you, Shawnee, for some headlines of the week. Speaking of another bright time for Canadian soccer, uh, Canadians and MLS. Uh, the Vancouver Whitecaps lost 6-1 to the LAFC this weekend. Uh, first of all, where do we think the Whitecaps are in their rebuild right now? And then secondly, is anyone going to even come close to LAFC this season? They currently score 2.63 goals per game. Uh, Well, LAFC, no. No one's coming close to them. If they can carry on this form and keep everybody fit, they will be your 2019 MLS Cup champions. And um, where are the Whitecaps in their rebuild right now? Uh, They just signed Ali Adnan to a DP contract. Yeah. So that's positive if you want to keep players around. I'm not quite sure if I would have put that money towards Ali Adnan. Maybe we'll just save that for another take for another show to answer your question right now. I think they're struggling. They're very deep in games. They are they're nowhere near the level of the technical quality. We've used the theme. I certainly have used the theme on this show in the past, MLS 1, MLS 2. This is a clear example of a top team in MLS 1 versus a bottom team in MLS 2. That's just a fact. Um, they are nowhere near LAFC in terms of recruitment, technical players, money spent, all of that. And it doesn't look like there's any signs of them getting close to them. So whether we evaluate the Whitecaps solely on their games against LAFC, that's very harsh. Yeah. <laughs> Even though, by the way, their Twitter handle would have liked to have done that because they were consistently reminding everybody this year that they were the only team to beat LAFC. <laughs> um, <laughs> side note. Uh, enough. Anyway. Uh, but no, for me, the Whitecaps are who they are. They're going to struggle to make the playoffs. Uh, but the, but LAFC are your favourite team right now. Favourite team ever in MLS. They're absolutely incredible. The football they're playing, scintillating. It's fun to watch. Got great players in every position. Interchange, movement, grit, determination, relentless. Could go on and on. Uh, nobody's beating LAFC this season. They're going to win the Supporters' Shield and then they're probably going to have every game. Well, they are going to have every game at home until they get knocked out. And I would be completely shocked if anybody goes into Bank of California Stadium mm. in the playoffs with that atmosphere, the way they play in that that park and beat them. I would be... be um, Amazed, that's the word. White caps, disappointing. I have to say, I like Mark DeSantos, and and I know he has grander plans for this team and and, and big ideas, but they're really stuck in a, a position right now. They don't have enough quality. They're they're far too deep in games. They're they're, they're surviving. They're hanging on. Uh, they can't get their best player in bomb on in the ball. They can't get him in the game. He's been. He'll, he'll, he's good when he's good, but he's been way too hit and miss for me. And we heard some great things about how sensational he was going to be in MLS. Don't see enough of it. And I see a team there who have no real identity. I, I, I don't know what their game plan is, but to maybe you know get a goal and then try and defend for the complete 90 minutes. And that to me is not progressive football. It's not the football we were promised by the Whitecaps when Mark DeSantos came in. And I think... They're going to have to spend substantial amounts of money and they don't have substantial amounts of money. And so making a, a left back, a designated player was was silly in my opinion, even though he is a quality player. And if he gets really fit, he has the potential to be the less, best left back in the league. I wouldn't have wasted that money on that because they need quality in higher areas if they're going to play better football. Otherwise, it's going to be a grind the entire season. Completely agree. Oh, and by the way, Edward Etowester isn't an all-star. 
That's ridiculous. What a disgrace. <laughs> Can we just send the whole LAFC team to represent MLS? <laughs> they might beat Athletic Madrid in a pre-season friendly. It probably it would. probably would, huh? That'd be, that's the best kind I, of advertising for MLS. Have LAFC beat Athletic yeah. Madrid in a pre-season yeah, friendly. That'd be great. You know? Our twist is amazing. How is he what not an all-star? That whole I, thing is a disgrace. They're going to struggle to keep joke. a hold of him. You they know, his, his cap has. I looked at it the other day because I know I had a good chat with John Thorrington. In Vancouver, actually, at BC Place. They just he, signed him permanently this year, didn't yeah. they? Yeah, so he says we got, we've got him for a cheap price. That's what he told me at the time. I didn't dive in to find out what that was, but it was released $493,000. Now, maybe for another show, we could get the salaries up and go through other guys in similar numbers mm. and talk about their worth to their team. This guy's sensational. He passes forward. He breaks things up. He, he, he literally makes defence splitting passes, assists for goals. He does everything. And he is going to be on the radar of most big clubs in yeah. Europe, in my opinion. Gotta They're go. going to struggle to keep a hold of him. 100%. Like 21 years old. Amazing. Incredible. Uh, similar question, but this time the impact. Uh, after a quick goal from Anthony Jackson Hamel, Minnesota beat the impact 3-2. Uh, we're halfway point of the season for the impact, but they should be happy with their current place in the standings, right? Yeah, I think so. They're... Um they're a, they're a real yo-yo team. Yeah. They're, you know, sometimes you see good signs and then they go back and forth and then they have big losses. Controversial loss, by the way, uh, to Minnesota for those who need to check out the highlights. They are currently fourth in the Eastern Conference. They have played more games than most. I think they're 21. So I see them as a playoff team without question. And I just think that they need to do whatever they can to make sure they get in the top four to get that home playoff game because... They seem like a team to me that could get on a roll and defensively they can be really organized. If Piatti gets back and is fit, um, they could make some do some damage. But if it spirals out of the way pretty quickly, if they get a DC or an Atlanta away in a playoff game, away from home in a one leg, yeah, it could be done. Could be done. They're, they're too inconsistent, aren't they? Yeah. And they're picking up the results, but um, there's some concerns there with, with a few different positions for me and, and, and personnel that are playing there. Um, I've always been a big fan of the impact. There's a lot of things I like about them, their, their style of play. I just look at the standings there, KJ, and I think of the two New Yorks, the Red Bulls and, and City coming up strong. Well, I think NYCFC it, have been great for a yeah, while now. Yeah, so they, they, they had a slow start, didn't they? Yeah. But they're coming, they're coming strong. Red Bulls are Red Bulls. They always get going. They know what they do well. They're getting Bradley Wright Phillips come off the bench, scored late yesterday, yeah. didn't they, against Atlanta. So they are getting their so-called stars back. TFC, at some point, once everybody gets in there and they start to, to gel, and if they have consistency, no injuries, to their best 11, you would think they're going to make a little bit of push. So, Seven points back with two games in hand on Montreal. Do, yeah. they, fin- do they finish above Montreal? TFC? Well, Saturday's a big one, isn't it? That's going to be a massive game. We'll That's, save it for the pre-game show. Yeah, it's going to be a good battle because that the point I'm trying to make is yes. you've got all these teams coming along and you like you said, the Montreal maybe just hold on to six or seven get a tough game and they're, they're tough to, it'll be disappointing but um, we yeah. don't need to carry on going down the east because there's a lot of utter oh. tripe, <laughs> utter tripe <laughs> below the line there tripe. <laughs> uh, so you know we could keep going we could have made a point got a win at the weekend we, we could have made a point that like you know every year you get like one team coming like a train yeah. oh you know be careful here they come <laughs> um, no, no. There's, there's a lot of uh, trains right now stuck in yeah. they're not moving stopped at the station <laughs> delayed you know you get a little delayed you're like oh these aren't delayed mates these are not the <laughs> these are steam Casuals. trains put away for good. 
Uh, keeping with the impact, it's rumored that Independiente are looking to sign uh, Nacho Piatti uh, as soon as this month. Oh, dear. Uh, do you expect Piatti to finish the season with Montreal, or is this the end of the road? Oh, boy. Uh, whatever Piatti wants, Piatti gets. Yeah. So uh, that's the decision. I would hope that he sticks to his uh, word and stays, but I think we all knew that this is a, a wonderful relationship coming to an end yeah. pretty, pretty soon. Let's hope not too soon. Yeah, I don't want it to be too soon. I hope he fin- finishes the season because if they lose him, I don't see them having the quality of any kind of playoff push if they indeed stay in the playoffs because he's that important to him. And I know he's missed a lot this season. I've still picked up results without him, but they, they need his class. And it sounds like he wants to go home, doesn't it? We've been hearing these rumours for a while now, even through signed contracts. So uh, I'm worried about this one because it'll be a big loss to the league and a big loss to Montreal and Canada. Wednesday night, the Canadian Championship reaches the third round with the Whitecaps versus Cavalry, uh, Impact versus York 9, uh, Halifax versus Ottawa. Uh, which match will you have your eye on Wednesday night? Well, hopefully all of them, if we somehow can. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I don't know. I'm not, maybe I'm, depending on work schedules, I might try and go to a game, but uh, this is fun. I mean, you know, look, I'm not a big fan of how it came about, how we eventually got to this destination with, you know, not uh, open draws and all that stuff, but it's fun. Let's be honest. Strap yeah. aside it. Positive people here. Let's talk about positive things. We've got Canadian teams playing, Canadian Premier League teams playing MLS teams, and that's great. Yeah, it's going to be exciting to see what goes on and try and watch every single game. I'm particularly excited for Whitecaps and Cavalry. Obviously, Cavalry had an excellent spring season, and uh, and, and Whitecaps, we've, we've just talked about their struggles. So that that might be close, or we're going to get to see where the gap is in, in the quality. Uh, Impact York 9, I fancy Impact to win that one quite comfortably um, and Halifax and Ottawa be a good one as well, well KJ yeah. what do you think I hope, Ottawa I just, are having a decent season they are doing well yeah. spoke to Julian de Guzman the other day had a good little chat with him he's doing well and they've done, doing well. a great job there so they had a tough, they had a tough start before a ball was kicked so yeah, yeah they've done okay yeah. Uh, I just hope well hopefully we can gauge it fairly hopefully these three super teams in these rivalries uh, bring some good players because yeah. not just like play you know a bunch of kids yeah. you know give it some respect you're right hopefully because yeah. that would be difficult if they play all the reserves or something but we'll see uh, around the league uh, rumors have linked uh, Barca former Barca center back Thomas Vermeulen uh, to the New York, New England Revolution is this a good fit for the club or is it a bit of a risk for the age the Patriots have got Guskowski oh, oh, oh <laughs> playing for the Revs oh, oh. <laughs> you gonna play football on that turf <laughs> I mean, he's, think so. he's like, he's healthy prone. He's, a, he's always injured. Yeah. Like he's, he's an injured footballer who occasionally plays. Like, uh, I, like he never plays football. I know, it's a and shame. And he's going to go play on turf in he, MLS. He won't play, really. It's not a good fit at all, but he, he's a, he's such a good player. Oh, I remember playing a, against him when he was at Arsenal. Player. Incredible KJ. Yeah. He's leap, he's quality, he's left foot. But technical ability. I can't remember the last time he played five games in, in a, a row. row yeah like seriously right. that long and you know uh one thing you say you play for barcelona but you never really played for barcelona yeah. you know so um yeah i'm worried about this one i just the travel the turf of new england the difficulties that he's going to face physically terrible signing in my opinion Last headline, uh, midweek Toronto FC lost to LA, making it one win in the last 11, which is uh, not good. Uh, but the question that I have for you is, if I was to tell you at the beginning of the season that Toronto FC were in the seventh place after Gold Cup, would you be disappointed or happy with the, the results? Well, I can't put my emotion in because uh, well, as a, yeah, as a club, yes. they should be 100% disappointed. Nowhere near satisfied. It's just absolutely nowhere near good enough. 
Nowhere near good enough. It doesn't matter how we shake it. They played well against Atlanta. They've turned things yeah. around a little bit. They went eight games without. They, ch- they changed that around. But no, they need to figure this out quickly. This has been another below par season. Last season, we were told it was an aberration. They needed to move people out the way because of some characters in the dressing room. They needed to alter their focus, and they have uh, they've struggled to keep keep people in the people not injured. Yeah. And um, the recruitment again has to be said hasn't been anywhere near good enough. The players that have come in. They know that now, and they're trying to make um, up for that. But no, there's no way that Toronto FC as a franchise should ever be satisfied for being last place in the playoffs. And this notion of anybody in MLS saying we need to be just a playoff team, it's a cop-out. It's not about just becoming a playoff team. You can't just become a playoff team. What are you doing every single week for your players, for your fan base, and organization as you represent that crest to sustain excellence? The playoff thing shall take care of itself. You know, seven teams are making the playoffs. So if TFC get in the playoffs this year, it's not success. It's about what are you building forward for next year, years to come to generate that success of continued excellence. And so for me, they're, they're a long way away from where they should be right now. Yeah, miles away. They should be up the top of the, the, the weak Eastern Conference, let's be honest, and they're, they're not. They've been far too inconsistent again. Um, uh, continuation of what we saw in 2018. We, we, we heard everything was going to be better. Spirits were better. Team was better. Team was healthier. And we basically saw the same TFC. Uh, no real identity. An extremely embarrassing loss in the CONCACAF Champions League. And then after what was a surprisingly good start from our point of view, and, uh, you know, we are paid to analyse teams and games and, and, and watch and look at what we see. And we, we were a bit surprised at how well they started. It's just been pretty poor since then. And I've liked the way they've been going in the last few games, a bit more direct, a bit more positive in the, in, in the style of play. And I think that'll help them. And I do think they'll make it a bit better once everybody's back. If they are fit, a bit more tactical identity, right? They, they yeah. understand a little bit more about the shape. The, the wide players have helped. But. Yeah, the wide players have helped, and and you look at Schaffelberg coming in. Of course, he's extremely raw, but he, he's given them that bit of presence. And Endo just running around has been good enough. So it, it tells you where they were. It tells you how disappointing that it was. You know, just to see that and people actually passing the ball forward instead of going square to the right, yes. back to the left, back to the right and, and never getting a, an entry pass into a forward or a, a through ball or a shot of goal was just boring to watch and uh, I thought they were pretty poor against Galaxy, they were missing some players but um, I want to see them be more positive and I think Poswell is he's playing a position that doesn't really suit him but they need to figure out quickly where this guy should What's be playing, he, what KG. Is he? What is exactly. he? Exactly. Yeah. What is he? Where should he play? Because after an unbelievable start, it's been pretty average since then. He costs $10 million. He's on $4 million a year. Yeah, I agree with it's you. It's been pretty average. So uh, Greg Van has to work out the best position that he should play to get the best out of him. Because at the moment, when I look around the league at designated players and what they cost and where they play, and I see what they're producing compared to Alejandro Pozuelo, and I think he'll get better when he plays with better players, but still not good enough at the moment for me. Great. Uh, now moving on to Ask AFP. Make sure you use the hashtag Ask AFP to send in your questions. Uh, we've got a few, but we'll move quickly because we went long with uh, John. But Raving Times asks, after the winning the Golden Boot, which club do you speculate will be chasing after Jonathan David and what kind of transfer fee? It's all pie in the sky. Well, so. a lot of German teams have been yeah. rumored with Jonathan David yeah. for for 
a, a number of weeks now. Um, transfer fee, I haven't seen anything signif- signal, but what, 15 million? Yeah, maybe, probably. 10, 15 million for the age of these 19. Yeah. He can play on both flanks. He can score. He can play as a nine. Yeah. I mean, of course. Why when wouldn't you, you ask for that? For, yeah. Why wouldn't you ask for that? Yeah. You know, I mean, particularly right now with the, the, the inflation right now in the market is, is outrageous. And so again, it's gone again this summer. It's gone up again. So is there a need for his club to move him? Is it likely that he moves this summer? I don't or? think so. I just think anytime a player starts yeah. making headlines that plays in Belgium and it's going to be tough to keep hold of him. But yeah, probably. Yeah, you know, but. If, Germany, look, Germany's probably the best yeah, for them, so. isn't it? Yeah. Or maybe, maybe one of the, the the big big hitters in Belgian league, Anderlecht, or someone like that. Uh, Drew asks, uh, "What Canadian Premier League team slash fans are you most impressed with uh, after the spring season, and why is it Halifax?" It's Halifax, Drew, because <laughs> you asked, and I haven't been there yet, and I'd love to go. So I'll come. I'll I'll, uh, I'll um, you know preach to the converted here and just play to the crowd. I'd Halifax. Like, Halifax is the one stadium I would really like to go to to watch a game. I'd love to go. It there. looks fantastic. Yeah. And it's obviously a great area of Canada. It's beautiful. It's done then. Podcast there. on the yeah. road. Halifax. Halifax. Done. done. Brilliant. Get us in there. Quickly, Roger asks, uh, your thoughts on uh, Schaffelberg in his first few games and does he fit into the 11 with a full squad? I don't think, I, I don't know how you can't play him there right now. At the moment, he has to he play. He has to play. They're getting a Tam Winger. It's coming soon. Whether that's left or right, Have I don't you been know. Have saying that for help. like nine months? Yeah. I'm not suggesting for a minute this is you that no. this is wrong here. I just feel like I think it's done, we've been hearing for the club they're right. getting a Tam Winger for... I checked my phone. <laughs> uh, let me see. Uh, no, nothing that. <laughs> a Tam Winger. Some yeah. From a continent that's just at a regional competition. Um, anyway, <laughs> they, yeah, it's coming, I think. Uh, but no, Schaffelbeck has to play right now. And he's been very good. You know, um, hopefully the uh, the expectations don't go off the ceiling. Yeah. You know, just keep him what he is. He keeps his game simple. What I like about him, he doesn't try and do too much. He knows what he's good at. And that's a, that's the best thing you can do as a young player when you're getting right away is don't overcomplicate it. Great enthusiasm when I've spoken to him on and off camera. And he's already feeling like he deserves to belong. And, and that's important. Yeah, good for him. And he, he seems like a, a very down-to-earth lad, very hardworking. I think that's great to see. I hope he continues like that. He, he's very raw. <laughs> he is what he is and his game will develop through training and playing and, and, and learning at, at TFC. But at the moment, I think his rawness is a breath of fresh air. I, I just like that. the fact he's out in the left. He's not trying to come inside and play in little pockets and all this stuff that we talk about way too often. He's an out-and-out winger. He stands out wide. You get the ball to him, to his feet or in behind. If he gets to his feet, he moves out his feet, he puts it in the box. If he gets in behind, he runs on it and he whips it in. And it's simple and it's nice to watch. And TFC have needed it for a long time. So when we talk about their best living at this moment, he has to be in it because of what he provides, that thrust and that forward movement in behind. Uh, Jamie asked, when can TFC expect uh, Tam signing? Soon? Uh, yeah, sure. Ask the expert. <laughs> I'm the phone's not expert. out again. The phone's out again. Uh, it's coming. Any text? No, no not yet. Uh Dan asks, uh, what does the Canadian women's national team need to do to medal at the Olympics next summer? Qualify. They haven't qualified yet. Oh. No, I'm serious. <laughs> they need to qualify. I mean, it's not a given. First, I'm not being sarcastic. Yeah. But they need, to, they need to qualify, first of all. Of course. That's important. And then they need to continue to uh, build the, 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 the team and obviously build off what's going on right now. There's clearly European teams have all gone to another level. Olympics only has a short amount of 
spots for European teams. So the competition will be less than in the World Cup. Yeah. Like Germany didn't make the Olympics a couple of years ago, last time either. Um, so the field is, is shrinking, shrunk a little bit. Um, so yeah, and hopefully the, the, the tournament experience that's served them so well there in the past will help again and make sure you have a designated penalty to take. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't, I mean, I think they're one of the best teams, of course they are. And I, I agree with the points you made, KJ, that Olympics is going to help them because it's a different format from the World Cup. But I just want to see someone a little bit fresher about the Canadian women's national team, a little bit of change in philosophy, um, a, a bit more... A bit more players who can really be dynamic from the middle of the park. And Less safe as well. Yeah. yeah. A bit too safe and a bit too predictable, I thought, yeah. Canada were at the World Cup compared to some other nations. And so I want to see um, a, a wee bit more risk taken from them. But, uh, you know, Becky, we all know, didn't have the World Cup that she hoped. Fleming, I didn't think, was anywhere near her best. And, and, and they two girls need to step up because they're part of what could be a very promising future uh, for Canada totally women's agree. team. And last question, Sally wonders if Paul Pogba will be a United player at the start of this upcoming season. I'm going to go with no. No. There you go. Oh, Real Madrid. Currently in Perth right now with Australia, in Australia with the Man United team, by the way, if you want to go out. Sulkin in Perth. Yeah. Probably is. yeah. What a reaction they got though from there. Was it amazing? Oh, I never like, saw it. Oh, you got to go check it out. It's yeah. like the Beatles showing up these it's days. Amazing. It's incredible. I went to Tokyo where Scotland once and Darren Fletcher was there and every time we got off the bus, it was like 400 people yeah. waiting for Fletch because yeah. he played for Manchester United. Yeah. It's incredible. It's so I can't imagine what the whole squad's like. Yeah. And the, the Perth have really embraced it. Got a lot of signal, signal, signal. I'll get it out in a minute. A lot of significant milestone <laughs> things around the, the the city, all dressed in red, and they got a big red bus for the United and everything. So, um, yeah, good to see that the uh, new season has begun for them. Okay, don't forget to rate and review. And as always, we always read a review. Our review of the week this week comes from. Who, Shawnee? Is Good it? luck. Mavendrum. Um, Mavendrum, which sounds like an amazing character in a movie. Uh, <laughs> probably the best podcast on iTunes, says Mavendrum. Can't say enough good words about the lot. Thank you very much. Uh, thanks so much, Mavendrum, for that. And, and uh, for all the listeners out there, make sure you rate and review. As I said, we could give you a shout out on the podcast and we do listen to, we do read them all as well. All right, that's it for this week. In fact, that's it for season one, I think. We're going to take some weeks off during the summer. Yes. Um, we got some more work to do for TSN as well but we know how summer gets busy for all of you in Canada so have a safe summer thanks so much for uh, listening to all of our shows continue to let us know what you'd like more or what you like less about them and uh, make sure you give us a follow on Twitter at AppleFallPod so we'll see you back next season cheers and thanks to Dill Clay and most of all you thank you